Okay, uh, let me pray. And um, format of this is, if you attended my seminar with the fantastically gifted Caroline, only for a short time, white, um, she's engaged. She was not engaged this time last year. Um, but I stole her again this year because she, in my estimation, is one of the most gifted ladies um, I know as far as teachers is concerned. So uh, format is going to be just like it was last year if you attended our seminar. This year it's a lot less controversial. Last year was on politics. Uh, this year it's on uh, the scriptures, something we can all agree upon, right? Um, so same format. I'm going to set the stage uh, with a talk, and then I'm going to bring her up, and we're going to dialogue a little bit, and there'll be time for you to ask questions. But let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. It is sweet, more precious than honey. In it is life. It stands forever. It cannot fail. Lord, your word is precious. But we confess that we neglect what is so precious. And so as we gather together, uh, would you rekindle in us both a love and devotion to your scriptures? Help us to see their worth. Help us to practically learn how to do it. And may all of us, because we came to this seminar, be redevoted to the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I thought the best way to come at this setting the scene is to let the Bible describe the Bible. I think that'd probably be the best way to do it. So let's ask the scripture itself how the scripture itself views itself. And um, I'm just going to use one verse to do that, a very famous verse that many of you know, but we're going to Briefly look at it, and then we'll do some dialoguing. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Here are two things we see about the Scriptures from the Scriptures themselves. Its author and its ability. Let's look at both. Its author. It says, all scripture is God-breathed. Now, if that language sounds a bit awkward, there's a reason for it. The Greek wording there is found nowhere else. Not, not just nowhere else in scripture, but nowhere else literally in literature. Uh, basically, what the Apostle Paul did here is he made up a word to describe the nature of the scriptures. He took two words, the word for God... ...and the word for exhale, and he put them together. Now, if that's not a writer's attempt to emphasize something, I don't know what is. He literally creates a word that is intended to bring to mind to the reader... ...the idea of God literally exhaling a written book. So let me ask you a simple question here from the beginning. What would change... ...if you truly believed that the Bible was the Word of God. I know we call it the Word of God. But do you really believe that this is so? That this book was exhaled from the mouth of God? And the most obvious question I get is... ...how do I know that this is so? 
I mean, in some ways we're using circular reasoning right here, right? We're saying, what does the Bible say about the Bible? How can we trust what the Bible says about the Bible? I get that question a lot. How do I know the Bible is inspired? How do I know the Bible is inerrant and infallible? I don't have time in this seminar, nor is it the purpose of this seminar to discuss that. Um, I think the purpose of this seminar is to talk to those who are convinced. And so we're just going to assume it. But I can give you good books to help you with that if you'd like. But I'm just going to give us the classic, easy, apologetic for the God-breathed nature of Scripture. And it's so simple, but it holds so much weight. And it's really this. Do you believe Jesus is risen from the dead? If you believe Jesus is risen from the dead, and historically I think you should believe Jesus is risen from the dead, then Jesus is Lord. He has proven it. And if you believe that Jesus is Lord, um, then we have to ask, if Jesus is Lord, then what does Jesus think about the Bible? And in this way, the inerrancy of Scripture neatly falls into place because Jesus believed that this is the Word of God. He approached it this way. He confessed it to be so. He trusted it as such. He lived in accordance to it. He quoted it over and over and over again. He prayed it. Jesus was all about the Scriptures. So if Jesus is risen from the dead, then Jesus is Lord. And his view of this book was that it is God-breathed. Then can there be any further questions if this is so? So we're going to assume that when it says this is God-breathed, this is God-breathed. Now, um, again, I ask, with that apologetic in mind, how does that change things? How does it change things to believe that the author of that book is God himself? Well, what it means is that this book has authority over all. God has authority over all things, and God has spoken. Authority is manifested in words. So um, the uh, president of the United States has authority, is given authority, rightful authority, but that authority is manifested in words. In our day and age, tweets, unfortunately. <laughs> Therefore, by extension, these words have authority over all things. We are not Bible worshipers. We are God worshipers, but the God we worship has spoken, and his words rule and reign over all. Therefore, all men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but... And it's that word stand that speaks to authority. You say it every week. It stands forever. And that is the key issue. Where does authority lie? Who has the right to tell you what to do? Who has the right to tell the world what is right and true? Who has the right to tell us what to believe? Who has the right to tell us what or whom to worship? Who has the intrinsic right over humanity? God and God alone has the right to command us. For God and God alone owns us and has all authority. And how do we know what he commands? That is to say, how is his authority manifested? He has written a book. His authority is wrapped up 
in that book that you hold. So, because God is the author of Scripture, Scripture is the author of authority. Because God is the author of Scripture, Scripture is the author of authority. But authority for what? Now, not only does this verse tell us its author, it also reveals its ability. The text says, all Scripture is God-breathed, authored by God, and is useful. Here's its ability. For teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And a key word in that passage is useful. This book has a use. It has a purpose in mind. And it is useful unto that end. Now we forget this as we approach the Bible. And we suffer for it. How long would you last if I told you to read Webster's Dictionary as a novel? What would happen if I told you to read the Harry Potter series as a historical narrative? Books have purposes, and the Bible is no different. If we approach literature without its purpose in mind, then not only do we miss the purpose, we quickly get frustrated and quit. If you were to read Harry Potter as though that is historical narrative done by a researched historian, you would throw it away really quickly and say, this is rubbish. If you were to read the dictionary as though it is a compelling novel, you would quickly say, this is a terrible novel. If you don't read the literature with its purpose, intended and purpose in mind, it doesn't work. Now, the Bible is unique in that it intentionally has several different styles and genres represented in it. It contains beautiful poetry, historical records, um, songs, prayers, narratives, even pastoral letters. The verse I'm using is from a pastoral letter. And so each of these styles must be read in the context of that style. But all of them put together have one central purpose, and the entire scripture must be approached with that end in mind. So let me just say from the outset, if you are frustrated with your Bible and fail to see its usefulness, well, perhaps the problem isn't its usefulness for the purpose you have in mind. Maybe it's not useful for the purpose you have in mind, and that's why the Bible frustrates you. So what is the purpose of the Bible? Well, it tells us all scriptures God breathed and is useful for what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Now, I'm not going to go into detail of all those four actions listed, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training, for the sake of time and our purpose, um, because I want us to have plenty of time to discuss here. Those four things are all about bringing change to the individual. That's what unites them. The point is change. The point is transformation. The point is growth. The Bible is useful to make you different. That's it. That's its purpose. It is not useful as a scientific textbook as many try to do with it. It is not useful to predict the future as many try to do with it. It is not useful to simply proof text your theological or political argument as many try to do it. It is used to change you. But its usefulness is even more clearly defined. It's not just any change that the Bible is after, but a specific change. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Righteousness is its goal. 
And if it is approached with any other goal in mind, then it will quickly become frustrating, useless, boring, just like reading the dictionary as a novel. Now, this is key. The Bible has become so misused in our Christian culture and so many struggle with it because they approach it wrongly. Listen to me and see if you agree with this diagnosis. The text says that the scriptures are useful in righteousness, not self-righteousness. The scriptures are God-breathed and are useful for righteousness, not self-righteousness. Everyone I talk to who is struggling with love for the word and a desire to spend time in it says the same thing. It didn't used to be that way. There was a time I loved the scriptures. There was a time that they were life to me. I just loved them. I remember when I was early converted, um, if you look at my Bible from my early conversion and you look for the underlines, what's interesting is every word is underlined. (laughs) You remember those days? It's like, amazing, 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 amazing. Love the scriptures. But now it's dry, it's burdensome, it's powerless, etc. Well, let me ask you, what has changed? Has the Bible changed? Or perhaps your approach to the Bible change? Perhaps, perhaps what was at one time a means unto righteousness has become a means unto self-righteousness. I talked about this in my opening uh, lecture at the conference. We approach the disciplines of the faith not unto righteousness but unto self-righteousness and it ruins the discipline. So the cycle is this. What does it mean to be a good Christian? A good Christian reads their Bible. I think we could all honestly say in the evangelical world, that's kind of the litmus test is, are you a serious Christian or not? You read your Bible. And so we know that what it means to be a good Christian is someone who reads the Bible. I don't feel like a good Christian. How do I appease my soul? Well, I read the Bible. But that's not its intended purposes. It's not a benchmark of self-righteousness for you to make yourself feel better about yourself. That's what Jesus is for. And so you read the Bible, but it's dry, it's frustrating because it wasn't meant to be done by that. You stop reading your Bible, you feel more guilty about not being a good Christian. You give it another try unto self-righteousness and on and on the cycle goes and you destroy the Bible. Its purpose is not to bring about self-righteousness, it is to bring about righteousness. And therefore, to come at it as a self-righteous fix will defeat its purpose and kill your joy for it. But there is another reason why we struggle to prioritize the word of God. Let's not overcomplicate it, okay? It's hard. R.C. Sproul says this. We fail in our duty to study God's word not so much because it is difficult to understand, not so much because it is dull and boring, but because it is work. Our problem is not lack of intelligence or lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. That hits home with many of us. It takes effort to pursue the Lord through his word. It's not easy and instant as Google. We just have to dig and meditate and pray and struggle and wrestle and literally bathe in it. And quite frankly, efforts such as this have been lost in our culture. So I think we misuse it. Yes, I think that's a problem with it. We, we use it unto self-righteousness. But I think a problem is we just need to admit we're kind of lazy. So perhaps love for God's word has been lost in your life. Whether it's become a tool for self-righteousness and therefore you kind of despise it... Or rather, we're just lazy and it's not as easy as Google. Either way, I think we can all agree that we need to recapture our love and devotion to God's word. And that happens when we internalize 
the theme of our conference with. This is going back to my first talk. A.W. Tozer says this, The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men and women to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into him, that they may delight in his presence, that they may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and center of their hearts. Translation, according to our conference, the Bible is not an end to itself, it's a means to be with God. That is why we come to Scripture. To find what we can find nowhere else. The text says it is useful, but it is useful unto righteousness. The righteousness which leads to salvation and the righteousness we are becoming. So I will tell you who loves the Bible. I will tell you who longs to hear it preached. I will tell you who makes time for it. It is those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who hunger and thirst after Kentucky sports devour Kentucky sports radio. Those who hunger and thirst after politics devour Fox News and CNN. Those who hunger and thirst after finance devour the Wall Street Journal. Those who hunger and thirst after celebrity gossip devour tabloids. Those who hunger and thirst after beauty and vanity devour Instagram. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness devour the Bible. Is it strange to you that people couldn't care less about that book? Totally indifferent. Reading it's like reading the phone book to them. And then the Spirit of God moves upon their hearts. They are changed. They are reborn, given new desires, desires for God and righteousness. And then all of a sudden, they can't get enough of that book. It's amazing. It is because our enjoyment and love of this book is directly connected to our heart and the longings of our hearts. Which means this. When you are spiritually, wherever you are spiritually, whether you, you have never been captured by this book or whether you were, but it is, it's been so long you can't even remember when you were captured by that book. How do we become men and women of this book? Well, we discover what was told to us by this book. We remember what you once found in this book. You see the preceding verses before this one, Paul tells Timothy... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Above all, this God-breathed book teaches, rebukes, corrects, trains in righteousness by being the one and only book that reveals Jesus to you. This picture... I'm never the illustration guy, but I'm doing an illustration. This picture uh, means absolutely nothing to you, but it means the world to me. Um, in 2000, and, did my wife leave? Oh, there she is. 2001, my wife traveled to the Ukraine um, for a mission trip. Uh, she was not a Christian. Uh, she felt the need to improve her life. So going on a mission trip seemed like the right move to do. Be a better person, right? Well, it was at this, on this mission trip uh, that she sat under the teaching and preaching of God's word in a way that she never had before. An MTW missionary taught her the word all summer. And the word became to take effect. She was troubled, convicted, 
um, and the depths of her being. She longed to find answers and hope. So one night, um, all that she was learning from the Word began to press deeply upon her, so much so that she couldn't sleep. So she got out of bed, and she just began to read God's Word. She read all night. She began Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, then John, then Acts, then Romans, then First and Second Corinthians, then Galatians chapter 1 through Galatians chapter 2. She came to verse 19, and then verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, and my wife was saved. That is why the Bible is beautiful, for it is where Jesus is found. And I keep this picture in my office because Abby had the really cool thought of taking a picture of the exact place she was sitting with her Bible open to Galatians 2.20 and took a picture of it. And so this mundane Ukrainian setting is my picture of why I do what I do. I keep it in my office to remind me to preach the word to you that reveals Jesus. You want to love the scriptures? Remember what is found in the scriptures. Remember what you can only find in the scriptures. And what is found here is Jesus. The book was written to tell you about Jesus. He didn't have to tell us. He didn't have to. He didn't have to reveal the Savior. He didn't have to show us his gospel. But praise his name he did. He wrote a book to tell you a story. The story of Jesus and most of all of his love. Jesus loves you. This I know. You know how I know? The Bible tells me so. The Bible tells me so. Go to the Bible and let it tell you about Jesus and how much he loves you. All right. Caroline, let's get practical. Let's go. That's my principled stand. Caroline. Yes. Let's talk practical. Yes. Uh, I really am not here as a teacher at all. I'm really oh, here. Hello. I'm sore. <laughs> rec or CrossFit? The rec. Rec. Okay. Um, Here's what I want them to hear. Oh, yeah. You sit down. You do this with college students a lot. Mm -hmm. They say, I know the Bible's important. <clears throat> Everything Robert just said, okay, yeah, great. Bible's important. How? Yeah. I, I Answer that question. I hear that a lot. Um, I came to the Bible for the first time, really, when I was in high school. Um, I, uh, the Bible for me at first was, is Christianity true? Um, but really, I wouldn't have articulated this in high school, but I was coming to the Bible basically asking, like, is Christianity what I need? Is it what I'm, like, searching for? Um, and in college, um, that's where I learned really how to read the Bible, what Robert was talking about. This is actually a really fun full circle for me because in college, my campus minister with RUF, put Dr. Doriani's book, How to Read the Bible, in my hands. So that's kind of funny. Yeah, I probably should have plugged that. Our speaker um, has written a book on how to read the Bible. It's super, it's probably, I, I think it's like the best textbook of like, it is. How it's do really you, the good. Bible is hard, I don't know how to read it. How do I like approach a passage in all these different genres? So plug for that. So that was kind of cool. Like he's Probably should have had those available now. That's that okay, that's, that's okay. okay. Um, Amazon. Amazon will make a killing off of you. Yeah. Um, so that was what, for me in college what happened. And then what happened after college was I went into campus ministry myself and I started sitting down with girls um, in 2013 who would ask me tons of questions. But one of the questions, probably the most frequent question that girls would approach 
uh, me with in our time together was, how do I have a quiet time? <laughs> they knew, like Robert said, um, they knew like quiet time and having time in God's word was like a thing Christians do. Um, and these are girls who've been like in youth grouped, vacation Bible schooled all the way through their whole lives. They've been reading the Bible since they could even read. Um, and these were girls who had just been saved in, in the months before. Um, but e- I think everyone in our culture kn- knows or knew um, that they're supposed to go to the God's word and have this quiet time. Um, and that was really convicting to me. I, I was still, I would say, a pretty new Christian myself. And I think um, I had to really start asking uh, what was behind their question. And I think a lot of it was what Robert said is um, there in my own self-righteousness of this thing, like I need to go get better um, or I need to go learn how to be a better Christian was really how I approached the Bible for a long time. Um, and I think really what transformed how I view the Bible today Um, is in that season of my life, um, I started realizing what Robert was talking about was we go to script, we go to the scriptures um, to be quiet is such a, in my opinion, poor uh, word to use to label that time. Um, I get what they're saying, quiet time, like I'm going to go be still and be silence myself and my world and my thoughts or whatever. But really, what's happening in that time when we go and read the Bible is we're listening, we're hearing. It's it's noisy there, uh, in, in every I think in every respect, um, we're not going to go meditate and like cleanse our mind of everything, and like find silence. But we we go to Scripture, um, whether we go in corporate worship and hear the word preached, or if we go to our Bible alone, um, you know, in your bedroom at night, we're going to hear from the Lord. Um, and I think. That is, that's for me what really shifted how I approach the Bible and how I view the Bible and then how I teach the Bible and how I teach students to be in the Bible. Um, you're, you're going to the Bible to go be with Jesus. Um, Can to, I stop you real yeah. quick? I think it's important. She made a distinction there that I think is really important. Um, our secular society is increasingly realizing and recognizing the health benefits of meditation of silence, of clearing your mind and all these things. Um, and, and, and if you heard me talk last night, you know, every religion shares common practices. And that would be true of secularism as well. What's unique about the Christian devotional life and practices is we are not there to clear our minds. Because our minds are twisted and futile and we'll clear them and junk will fill them back up. We're there to fill our minds, mm-hmm. to fill our minds with truth, and, that, mm-hmm. and, and to hear, hear, not clear. Yeah, he, oh, that's good. Tweet I that I just later. made it up. Tweet that later. Tweet. Um, uh, at me. At you. I'll tag I'm not, you. I'm not on Twitter anymore. All sorry. right, keep um, going. Anyway, so um, I think, too, this also answers for us a, a question that I hear a ton on the college campus, um, and even in, like, my own friend groups, is where can I go find God? Where is God? Where can I go experience him? Uh, where can I know what he wants from me? Um, and I think we've lost um, how precious it, like God answers that question, question for us. He supplies that answer um, with his word. Um, it's kind of less sexy than like going out into the woods and like having an experience and finding God like in a meadow. Um, <laughs> but it's so mu- the word is so much better. Um, this is where, like, we hear this in the Psalms. Like, yes, creation reveals God, uh, the creator God to the world. 
but how much better is the word made flesh um, and then the, we get to read that word himself here in the Bible. Like that's the fuller, the fullest revelation of God is here. So where can I find God? How can I hear from him? The, the Bible answers that. And so that's kind of what I kind of like open up with my students um, is, is really kind of what Robert was getting at too. But um, just how to approach God's word, I think starting there is really, really powerful. It's, it's a place to go be with God, hear from God, search and find God. Um, something that I uh, remembered, really the only, one of the only wedding homilies I've ever really remembered and like internalized, no offense, um, was at a wedding. And he said that for, uh, you said that we're devoted to God's word. We use that like devotion time. Like I want to have a devotion um, and I think that there's something really powerful in that word devotion or devoted. Um, and you hear that word at a wedding. You're devoting yourself to your spouse, um, to the person you're marrying. And he said really what that devotion is, is you're devoting and you're committing yourself for the rest of your life to become a student of your spouse. Hmm. You're going to spend the rest of your life studying who he is or who she is. What is she like? What does he hate? Um, what makes him tick? Uh, what is he like? How does he work? What gets him going? What all those questions like you're studying this person You're becoming an expert on a person and I think that's really I think that's the best illustration of how I tell students to approach God's Word You're going to study the person of Jesus not in a solely intellectual way though the Bible can handle that um, but in like a I want to know your heart God and I can do that um, by spending time with you in your word. Um, and so the same practice that we have, we, my students are typically really highly social people. They love being with people. Um, I know that's not everyone. But, you know, I say, like, when you go and spend time with a guy on a date or you go spend time with your friend uh, in the, you know, student center um, and you have coffee with them, think about what that time is like. Um, you ask questions of them so that you can hear their answers and hear how they talk about things, hear how they respond to things. And what I love about this kind of illustration of being with people um, is that scripture like that experience has an effect on us, which is what Robert was talking about. Like it's impossible to go sit down with Robert and have a conversation with him and like hear like, what do you love about this, this, this? Like, why do you, why'd you go into the ministry? Or why do you sign up for CrossFit? Or like, why'd you marry Abby? Like you can like hear him answer and the way he talks about things. And, and in res, it's impossible to not have a response to what he's saying. It's changing you. Um, and, and hearing and experiencing God is the same way. Um, we talk about God's word being precious. It's precious because Jesus is precious. And we find Jesus there. Um, we talk about being devoted to God's word because we're devoted to Jesus, our groom. Um, and, and that's really, I think, I think we lose the language around God's word there. Um, so... The how of, like, how do I go be with Jesus? Um, there's probably a million ways to answer this. And I'll just say, like, what, what helped me the most is a little, um, like, list, a small, short, small list that I keep on a Post-it note in my Bible as I'm doing my little daily reading. Um, the first thing that I ask of, of every passage I read um, is I, I read a passage I listen and I hear from God first, and then I ask, um, "What is true about God?" In light of the, what is God revealing about Himself in this passage? So I just write a bullet point: truths about God, who He is, and how He works. 
Um, that's the first question I ask of any passage that I read. Um, and I think that that's true when you think about like spending time with a person. Like, what is true about Robert? Uh, you know, who is he? How does he work? How is he wired? Um, asking that same question of God from any passage in the Bible, well, I promise you, um, the Spirit will not not meet you there. Um, and, and so that's the first one I do is choose about God. The second bullet point that I have is, um, again, like being with anyone, how do I respond to the person that I'm with? Um, how do I respond to what they're claiming and, and how they're revealing themselves? So my last two bullet points is, um, in light of what I've heard from you, God, um, I'm conf- I want to confess this about myself. So in light of how you've revealed yourself, I'm typically not that way. <laughs> and I need to confess the ways that I'm not what I just uh, saw or have beheld about him. So confessing. And then the last question, the last little bullet point is, in light of what I just read about you, um, in light of the truths about you and how you work, um, I want to ask this of you. Um, and again, Dr. Doriani's book could give you a much meatier way to approach the scriptures. This is like my simple way, my three little bullet points. And I keep that little post-it through my Bible, um, and I think that's, for me, what has, like, I don't know, um, been the most fruitful way to be with the Lord um, in his Bible is those three questions. And those are the three questions and bullet points that I've given countless students to. So. Yeah, so uh, so practically speaking, you're, you, when you approach the scriptures, you're asking, what's true of God? Then, by implication, what do I need to say is true of me? Mm-hmm. Or not true of me. Or, or not true, <laughs> yeah. And then... And then supplication. And then, yes. Lord. I want to ask this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's just like being with people. I just really do. And I think if we really believe that the person of Jesus, the, again, how sweet that God in Christ reveals himself as the word made flesh. Um, and then we're invited into that word. Like, we're going to go meet a person uh, in, in, in these words. Um, and that's really powerful. And I think, gosh, what could be... A whole conference in and of itself is just the grace and mercy that our God has been made known. Like, he is revealing. He's self-disclosing. That's what the Bible is. The Bible is God's self-disclosure. Um, and we're invited into um, the, th- like, I want to go to the throne of grace and sit and stand before Jesus. Like, that lip, like, scripture really is the means to that end, mm. what Robert said. Yeah. Um, go and listen. Is yeah. So, um so, okay, so, that, so like that's just a real practical thing that Caroline does. Who's God? What's say about me? What do I want to pray? Um, what, what I think is important is, and, and you, come, you come to the seminar saying, teach me how to do the Bible. I want to do the Bible. We give you that. Uh, we can give you that. There's a simple way forward. We could stay, we could be here all morning, giving you, and Doriani's book is good on this, giving you practical ways to, uh, to do it. Um, there, are, there are acronyms. Some of you use those. There, there, there are so many different ways that you could do it. I think the distinction, and I, I, I want to ask you, I think the distinction is for our tradition, um, where we're really good is Bible study. Right. We're really good at Bible studies. The inductive, deductive, let's, let's figure the text out. And that, at, 
absolutely has its place mm -hmm. in the study of Scripture. Mm -hmm. But I think what I'm hearing you say is we could talk about methods all day long, but the, the paradigm change of the Scriptures are not something to be studied. They're something to be what? Encountered? Um, experienced? Hmm. I don't know, and I... You're more black and white than me. I would say the scriptures are to be studied. I'm, okay, I don't think fine. That, yes, like, study the scripture. I think, I think, but cause but I, I, what I'm saying I, is our I know tradition does saying, that well. I know what you're saying. I, I, I really, I, I'm a firm believer, and, and I've seen this in countless years of college ministry. I'm a firm believer that, like, yes, you can come to the Bible in a wrong way. But like, will you ever come to it in a perfectly right way? I, right. I don't want to just, I don't want to pick a word that's like, this is how we, like, we're never going to, I don't know, I just, I just don't want to answer that question because I just, I, I know what he's getting at principally, but like pragmatically, like sometimes like we just go through seasons where it's like, I don't want Jesus, but I want to know about him. And like the Bible can handle that. Like, I know that's not like right, but like, no, it is you right. Know, and I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that there are more ways to approach the scriptures other absolutely, than other absolutely. than study. And I'll say this from just a personal like me example. I teach countless Bible studies. I love the inductive, like deep. I want to know the setting, the first hearers. I want to know how did you come up with that word in English from the original language. Like that is all so good. And I think that that's really we spend time doing that. Yes. So many of y'all attend Bible studies or small groups where we're doing that. Um, and I think that that is so good. Um, but it's not this. Yeah. What he's getting at is it's not the same. It's not practice. just that. Right. And, and I think what's, what's important for our tradition to understand and what I, what I was trying to get you to say that I wish you say, but you didn't say it. So I'll say it is. Uh, <laughs> there there are ways to encounter scripture. There are ways to encounter God outside the traditional deductive, inductive Bible study thing. The scriptures are meant to be meditated upon. You could, you could, take, one, you could take one verse from a psalm. I went through a season like this. Now, I have different seasons of, of, of the way I approach the word. So I went through one season where I just read the psalms and I would find one verse in that psalm of the day and I would, I would literally just soak in it, meditate in it, just, mm -hmm. just over and over again, not only in that time, but throughout the day. I've gone, through, I've gone through seasons where scripture memorization was really important to me. The scriptures are meant to be memorized, and that's how you internalize it. I've gone through a season I'm in right now is I'm reading bulk of scripture, um, where I am, I am reading, uh, I'm reading uh, four or five chapters a day, and trusting, and, and I, it's, I can't go depth, I can't meditate, I can't, trusting that like we eat our meals and we don't necessarily remember what we had for lunch, but I know just by reading the scriptures, it's changing me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying, what I'm trying to do is, is when we talk practicalities of the scripture, I guess what I want to say is broaden it out and the Bible can handle your creativity with it. Mm-hmm. You can read other traditions and say, how do they approach it? Anglicans are really good at this. Other, other traditions are really good at this. Um, there, are, there are so many ways to come at the scriptures. Mm -hmm. My heart is just that you would come at the scriptures. Mm 
mm-hmm. is that you would prioritize the scriptures in your life and trust that they actually that the Bible actually does work. Well, I think kind of what, what, hearing you talk, I think that there's times to go that I go to scripture like in Bible study when I'm like doing like a curriculum or a group thing where I'm asking, I want to know more about you. Um, and I think that's a good, you know, a good way to go to the scriptures. I think um, another way that maybe you're getting at is like, sometimes I think it's good to just open the Bible either corporately or individually and just say like, I just want to see you. I want to be with you. Like it's the difference of like, like, in, like a, you know, sitting down for coffee and like, I don't really know Robert and I just want to get to know him and ask him a ton of questions. And like the Bible can handle all the questions you bring in. Um, God can answer every question you ask of him. Um, but there's also times where I just want to, I don't really want to like know about Robert, but I just love sitting with Robert and being in his presence. Um, I just want to see him and see him looking at me like, I care about you, Caroline. I'm your shepherd. I love you. I care about you. And I'm here with you. I'm not going anywhere. Sometimes you just want to see and like be with a friend and see that. And sometimes there's boring time. Yeah. Sometimes you're bored with people. Yes. But because you care about the relationship, you want to go be with them, you know. And, and boredom is a part of relationship. Yeah, absolutely. You see what I'm saying? I, I, let's, let's, let's resist the temptation to, to, to fix the scriptures into a formulaic thing. There are plenty of stuff out there. Just Google it. Just Google it. Um, if you're wanting to read all of scripture, um, the, the yearly, uh, I, I highly recommend Read Scripture app um, because it, 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 it's, a good, it's a good pace. Um, it gives you daily readings and it gives you the Psalms. Um, and it gives you those Bible project videos that, that teach you. So like if you're going to read Leviticus, it gives you the Bible project video, which are all really good and helping you understand that. Um, the Book of Common Prayer is really good uh, from the Anglican tradition. Um, what's the app that was developed out of our church? Um, Verses. Verses is a great scripture memory app. There are apps out there. There's books out there. Dorani's book is out there. What I didn't want this seminar to turn into is here's how to do it. Go home, da-da-da-da. What I wanted this to turn into is don't be intimidated by this book. Don't be frustrated by this book. Just go to this book mm-hmm. and prioritize this book in your life and believe that it's changing. And then I'm going to give you one unconventional qualification to all of it, and then we got to let you go. I'll let you have the last word. Um, one unconventional qualification to all of this. We live... We live in a, in, a, in a literate society with English transis, translated Bibles, with multiple Bibles on our shelves and in our laps. We've got every Bible for every different thing. We've got books on how to read the Bible. We've got apps on how to read the Bible. We're literate. We can do it. You do realize that when the scriptures were inspired, that was not the case. Do you know how they were fed by the word of God? They heard it read and preached. The number one thing, you have a quiet time. Have a quiet time, prioritize the Bible reading, you do it yourself. The number one ordained way for that book to get in your soul is to come to church. That's how God ordained it. Our our confessions say that, that God has ordained the word, especially the preaching of his word. That we actually, there's nothing special about me, there's nothing special about Mark. But we believe, our, 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 our theology teaches that there is something unique when an ordained minister opens the scriptures and proclaims it to your heart. So if you're going to church and listening to his word, you're being fed. Mm -hmm. And it really does matter. 
That was, that was my one unconventional qualification that people failed to appreciate. I'm so glad you said that. It's so freeing. Like, yeah, I it's think freeing. In college, girls are like, I just, I try to open my Bible and I don't know how. And this could be you and you might be 75 saying that. Like, I just don't know how to do it alone. And I say, that's fine. Come to RUF on Wednesday nights and let a professional do it for you. Yeah, like I, I have people that, are all, that feel this pressure to, I mean, literally, I have this conversation all the time. Man, when I open my Bible, I don't do all that that you do. And I'm like, that's what you pay me to do. That's why you tithe. <laughs> that's why you tithe. <laughs> it's my profession. I went to school to do it. God called me to do it. He quit me to do it. Let me do it for you. Yeah, and I think that is incredibly freeing. Isn't that freeing? If you walk away Just today show up and saying let me like, do the work. If you walk away from this saying like, I'm free to not be an expert in the scriptures. Yes. That is so beautiful. And now with that, I'll, this, this, since you're giving me the last word. Go. That illustration of why at a wedding someone would tell the other, say like, for the rest of your lives, your commission, your, what you're signing up today to be devoted to your spouse, to become an expert and study them. Why on earth would, why would that be the command? so that you can love them better. Like that's what the, like devote yourselves to the scriptures, know and behold your God. Why? Not just to become experts. We know and behold and spend time with God, study him and to become devoted to him so that we love him and enjoy his love for us. Um, that is, that's the chief end of man, right? I mean, that to is. know, to glorify and to enjoy the person that we have wed ourselves to, um, that he is what, we, yeah, we've become what too in him. Amen. Want to pray? Uh, I want you to pray. Oh, okay. we've got. Uh, I, I'm a little late on my seminar here, so hustle down there, so Will doesn't get mad at me that people are getting there late. You got ten minutes to get to the sanctuary. We right, pray, let for me us. pray for us. Almighty God, you are our Father, and um, Lord, we thank you for inviting us into yourself um, to behold you, um, to know you, um, to become one with you. Um, Father, I pray that you would, um, by the power of your Holy Spirit, draw us into your word. Free us um, from our own slavery, from our own expectations, from our own pressures um, of how mm. to come to this. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would free us um, and move and draw us in um, to commune with your Son, our Savior. That we would see his face, know his eyes, his smile, his words, mm. his heart. Um, Lord, we want to study and know you. And we know where to go to do that. Free us and, and bring us out of our laziness, our fear, our trepidations, Lord. And bring us to you, ultimately, so that we might love you um, as we have been loved by you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you all for coming. Uh, let's head on down to the sanctuary.